that we might have to change Bintang effect to Resch's effect because you know if you feel a certain way about the label, you'll feel a certain way about the beer. I think maybe the Bintang effect refers to the geography and the Resch's effect ref- refers to the time. Welcome to episode 402 of Bruce News Week, recorded on Thursday the 19th of January. My name's Sabrina Kunz and I'm joined today by our usual hosts, Matt Kierkegaard and Ian Watson. Hi guys. Hello. G'day Sabrina, how are you? Good, I can't believe um, it's been uh, just one week, like this year is speeding away. Feels like I'm still just, you know, Christmas was just a couple of days ago, but it's uh, well and truly gone now. I'm not going to wish the year away yet, but it's feeling like it's moving very, very quickly. Next week, Cottus 100. That's how quickly it's moving around. I know. Well, I was about to say, I was like, not that our lives are framed around major beer activities, but um, <laughs> Hottest 100, Hottest 100 is coming up. Um, actually, voting closes tomorrow, today, by the time listeners you hear this. If you haven't got your votes in, maybe consider which beers were your favourite of 2022. Uh, so on to the news of the week. Uh, got quite a bit to cover. So as usual, we'll do our best to keep it um, keep it tight for you. <laughs> Asahi makes nostalgia play with return of powers. Asahi is set to relaunch Queensland's 1980s icon beer brand Powers, the brand it once let languish. In a recently launched teaser campaign, the brewer has announced Powers is back about bloody time. Despite having launched the campaign, the company declined to discuss the plan launch other than issuing a brief statement from a CUB spokesperson. Contacted for comment, uh, brand founder Bernie Powers confirmed he was aware of the relaunch but declined to comment beyond saying he was leaving this to Asahi. I think it will be a very significant event for Asahi in Australia is all I want to say for now, Powers said. While publicans have been sent the teaser images and billboards have started to appear, including around Asahi's Yatla Brewery that Power founded, Little is known about the beer other than it has a new taste and is described as ultra smooth. Um, Matt, this was your story and one that, um, you know, came to us from a number of sources, including with quick snaps of a billboard asking what was going on. Yeah, look, this is one of those stories that is probably worth even talking about the background to the story and why we devoted quite a bit of sort of time to to doing it because there's been a lot of conversation that I've seen already um, where people have just said this is just one of their we need to release a version of the beer in order to maintain our trademarks and you know we've been very critical of that in the past you know we've seen blue and the gold top we've seen a number of beers that have been exactly that but I'm picking up it's a very very significant launch you know as as, as is evidenced by what is essentially a teaser campaign where people who are driving between Brisbane and the Gold Coast passing the old powers brewery that is now uh the uh, i keep wanting to say abbotsford but the the, the cub yattle brewery that i think is the biggest production brewery in the country and certainly cub's most efficient they've been teasing this um campaign then also publicans have been sent uh you know emails or texts teasing the return of it so when I, when I started hearing about this from a number of quarters, I reached out to CUB and they gave you the classic, we've got nothing to say as yet. Um, and I happen to have Bernie Powers, Power, yeah, Bernie, 
it's Bernie Power, but I had Bernie Power's number. Um, and so I reached out to him. He's somebody that I've long wanted to get back and have a conversation with on the podcast because Powers is such a significant beer. And, uh, you know, he said, he said, oh, look, I know why you're calling. Don't want to say anything, but I'll just say this. And you go, okay, um, you know something's up. You're part of something bigger than this. Um, and, you know, no, one, no one's commenting, but the story's out there. You know, you, you're getting... I think there is something like 25,000, 30,000 cars a day go past that billboard. So it's not a secret. And, uh, you know, to me, it's a very, very significant um, announcement because I've long been critical of CUB for killing off this brand um, that was a very, very significant brand. And for me, you know, and we'll talk about the, the brand and the story and things like that, um, that that came out. But for me... It shows such a dramatic change in the way the beer market is structured. Um, to some extent, that was pioneered by Bernie um, you know, Power, who was a, a disruptor before disruptors were even called disruptors. He was just a bloke making beer. Um, and so it, it just captures so much. And so it was worth quite a bit. And also, when Bernie said nothing, you know, quite often in the, you know, a story like this would drop. But I happened to have an excellent um, interview. Like when I went back and listened to that, I, ma- I managed to find the old audio of the in- interview that I had with Bernie that sounds like it's on a gramophone record. It's scratchy and <laughs> it sounds like it's ye olde, um, you know, Thomas Edison talking about how he invented the light bulb. And, and it was great. Did you, but- did you say it was... T- 2005 that interview 2005 so so what's that 2005 was 12 years after he sold uh, after he finally left got out of powers um and you know that's what 17 years ago so it was closer to powers than it is away from powers and uh you know i I told bernie i said okay i appreciate not going to comment but i do have this old old interview and he didn't sort of remark on that but um you know because he gave that interview back then reminiscing about the 1980s and um, anyone who's interested there is a link in that article and i might share it with the um, radio brews news group when we get off it was an article i wrote in 2005 about looking at beer in the 80s because that was when the national beer market became a national beer market before then queensland had forex and there was the, the article talks about you know, the, the head brewer for Lion um, saying, you know, we've got a lot to thank Bernie Powers for and that, that, that period for because up until then, you could drink Forex 100 kilometres south of Brisbane and 1,800 kilometres north in Cairns, but you wouldn't drink it in New South Wales. And you had Reshers and KB and some of those brands in New South Wales. And Coopers was a South Australian, Coopers and um, South Australian brewing brands and Tasmania had its brands. And it was, you know, Bondi buying Forex created the opportunity that Bernie uh, Powers, you know, I want to call him Mr. Powers, he's such a lovely old man, seized. But then, you know, Lion also sold a number of hotels that they owned, they owned a, trying to expand into Victoria, they sold and that freed up taps there. And it was, all of that really came out of that period. And... At, at the end of the day, the thing that this story tells me is 
national brands aren't once what they once were. So, you know, um, speaking to Mike Bannenberg, who's been a rep past guest on the on the podcast, who used to do some of the big ads um, for, for, for CUB. He said that, you know, CUB's strategy was to buy up the great Northern Brewing Company in Cairns, which they bought in early, and then close them and replace uh, them with their own brands. They bought McLaughlin's Brewery in Rockhampton. They bought um, the, what is now Matilda Bay, but it was the Masthead Brewery in the, the, the Gold Coast. They bought Powers Brewery. They bought Reshers. They bought, and they closed them down. And when they closed Reshers, they put VB on tap, you know, re- took, replaced VB on all of the Reshers taps. And it worked because VB was one in four beers sold in the country for a long time. But in turn, the wheel turns and now people don't like a national brand. They want something that's a little bit more local. So after I'd published that story that we published about Powers, I saw an interesting post on the Resh's Appreciation Society talking about the launch of Resh's Real Ale. And they got a teaser a couple of months ago, um, apparently, and it's, it's now come out. But they're giving themselves credit. They're saying, isn't this awesome, you know, uh, Resh's Real is coming back. It's not the same beer, but at least it's a Resh's beer. More, uh, they, you know, they've re- uh, trusted us releasing Dinner Ale or DAL for short runs. This is huge progress for our group as it's the first time they've invested in launching a new beer and gone all in, in caps, making it a success. Um, where I would suggest, and I don't know, but they, they, they do say that it's a different beer, but the beer is described as being crisp and smooth on the label, even though CUB are telling them the exact words are, although it's going to be borrowing the name from the old drink that many of us loved, this will be a new beer. CUB have promised that it will be an easy drinking classic lager. They understand that the price point for dinner ale and Pilsner can be a little high at times, and they wanted to reward Resh's Appreciation Society members and Resh's lovers in general with an everyday beer. Now. The irony is these guys have been railing against modern contemporary everyday beer. They say we want beer to go back and taste like it used to. So by they, Matt, you mean the Reshers? By the, the Reshers Appreciation Society. Society. Like that was the whole yep. reason for the. Re- there is this nostalgia. There is this feeling we want to go back to the beers that we used to love. But when you dig in, and I'm not dismissing anybody, it's the way that our minds work. CUB is creating a crisp and refreshing beer, which is how they describe Great Northern, which is how they describe all of the beers that the Resh's Appreciation Society dismiss. But because it's a Resh's beer, they, and, and, and you know, pays homage to the Resh's Appreciation Society, they don't care about any of the things that nominally they say, because this beer gives them permission, which is what beer labelling is all about. And that's what Powers is. You know, it's a really big launch. It's hugely significant because to some extent we are going back to things that we love we are going back to things that we know flavor is changing but we're satisfied if that little bit of nostalgia and we and read the article about um, powers because there's a whole lot of links to other articles we've done about reshes with um, consumers so it's it's actually a really really big story not just because powers is coming back but it really encapsulates where big brewers and, and a lot of brewers think that beer is going, that national markets um, aren't 
a, a huge thing and it's a, actually a much smaller regional market, um, even if we make exactly the same beer and badger different ways. What I'd be interested in is to know whether the powers is being marketed to um, other markets, whether it's just being really mar- um, pushed towards southeast Queensland, and then the same with Reshes. My understanding is it's Queen. Well, Reshes you can't get anywhere else, and the, the the neck label that I see, the beer we drink round here, established New South Wales. So, you know, I, I, that seems to be a statement of intent. Pride of and it's, the label actually says Pride of New South Wales, Reshes Real Lager. Um, so it seems to be very much a New South Wales play and Queensland, my understanding is that it's going to be Queensland is the, is the focus. So it does seem to be a regional nostalgia play on a big scale. Yeah, they might be trying to just establish a, a state-based brand for each of these and be interesting to see yeah. then whether we get one then in, um, in, in Victoria or Tasmania or um, in other states as, as, as well. And by the sounds of it, the beer is very much uh, the beer is very much in line with the contemporary lager market a la Great Northern-esque. Yeah. Do you reckon, um, and I know we've sort of got the um, New Belgium discussion a bit later, but... Do you reckon there's any, like, which consumer do you think they're going after? Because, so if you were drinking Powers in the 80s, what, like, what age demographic do you think they're targeting now? Because as you were speaking, I was doing the whole, well, you know, I was a child in the 80s, so these aren't nostalgia brands for me. (laughs) They then were killed... Oh, just but and they were yeah, killed yeah, yeah. off basically by the time that I was drinking. So by the time I was drinking, it was VB, Forex. They were your so who who are they targeting? And I guess my my question there would be, um, why would they be targeting? Like, what is it in the data that we don't have or know that says the fifty year old male group that would be nostalgic for this these beers is a target market or do you think that the nostalgia prey is broader than that for people who it's, it's, didn't it's know broader. it the first and, time round? and again i would suggest that go and have a look at the facebook group for the russia's appreciation society just read through some of the posts because it, as, as i talked about before it shows on one hand, they think that they're drinking. On one hand, they're telling themselves that they want the beer that tastes like it used to, but the beers are actually a much more contemporary flavour. But then, if you look at the the people who are posting, it's fathers and sons, and it's also young. You know, the, as you look at it, there are a lot of young women. You know, much more than you expect in a beer group Facebook post. Weird. Yeah, well, again, look, we probably need to speak to a consumer psychologist really to sort of flesh it out, but I'm 53, you know, my daughters who are 18 and 21 don't remember Powers. They don't remember seeing me drink Powers, but, you know, people who are slightly older, but then it's it's at the same time... um, Powers branding is still very reminiscent of the 80s. And we ask, you know, the 80s is one of those times that keeps coming back. And so there is a bit of nostalgia. So I I think this tips into nostalgia on one thing. So you can think back to the 80s, you know, when Wally Lewis was king, when beer was state-based and those sorts of things, there's a bit of a play. And then, so there is nostalgia, but then there's also that it gives the beer a local feel. And 
Resha's, there isn't, uh, CUB doesn't have a capacity brewery in New South Wales. So Resha's hasn't come out of New South Wales. None of the beers that is now being celebrated by the, uh, again, I stress, I'm not having a go at them because this is the thing that plays our heartstrings and then we, get, we, we justify our choices to us. But it's coming out of Queensland. It'll be a, a contemporary beer that could be rolled out under any other label, but it won't have that same passion. It won't have the bintang effect. We might have to change bintang effect to Resh's effect because, you know, if you feel a certain way about the label, you'll feel a certain way about the beer. I think maybe the bintang effect refers to the geography and the Resh's effect ref- refers to the time. Would this be a hilarious time for us to talk about the Rallings effect? Because as you were talking about the power, the power of a of a label, my brain went straight to ooh, solid segue. Beer can and bottle labels can have a very powerful impact on the consumer, and because of that fact, because they can draw the consumer in and make the consumer love the beer in the bottle as much as the brewer can, you want to have good labels. And the people who can help you make your labels the goodest they can be is Rallings Label Stickers and Packaging. The guys can get all of the specs right so your bottle looks the best at all times. If you want the Rallings effect, which is not the effect that we have on Rallings, but the effect that Rallings can have on your beer, give them a call on 1300 852 235 or email sales at rallingsprint.com.au. So the second piece of news this week was also one that you um, spent some time on, Matt, and that was social media backlash highlights crisis comms value. A minor issue between two local businesses has spiralled to become a major headache and a lesson in reputation management and crisis communications for a small brewery. I encourage you to read the detail in the story for this one. Um, but I think the, the summary there about it really being a good lesson mm. on um, having a plan for when complaints or issues are raised is sort of really um, the point of this one. Yeah, no, th- th- this was one that came to me on Saturday morning. A correspondent uh, let me know that there was something going on in the uh, social media world and, you know, jumped on and started looking at it. And, again, it's one of those hard ones for us to report because on one hand it was a fairly you know, it was a fairly small localized spat between two businesses and you don't want to stoke that fire but the other thing was it it did bring in quite a bit of things that do matter to craft breweries quite apart from crisis communication strategies it's about brand building and provenance and things that matter so for for those who haven't read the article very very quickly um, a brewery on the Sunshine Coast, and it, and it doesn't really matter who they are um, for, for the purposes. We had to sort of really refer to them in a minor way in the in, in the article. But a small brewery on the Sunshine Coast, it's built itself, you know, around circular community and you know doing uh, podcasts and chats about using local produce and celebrating itself um, and showcasing its local producers. Um, had included a pork producer on its menu in its logo um they had used the product you know infrequently is a fair description and the last time it was in april 2021 um i gather that they redid their menus or they did their menus and somebody made the decision to include all of their suppliers on the menu and that this was one of them 
Um, the producer became aware of it. And I, I need to stress that the producer is somebody, you know, is one of the people that makes you feel good about buying dead animals, to put it really basic, because he... <laughs> well, oh, no, no, well, because, I mean, that's, that's what media is. Let's call it I know what you mean. Ethical, ethical. It's, it's, it's ethical. ethical. And, 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 and if you want to eat meat, yet. this is the sort of person that you want to buy your meat from, knowing that it's environmentally, yeah. you know, animal husbandry, all of those things. And he is a warrior... Yeah for ethical produce and he became aware in december that it was being used he realized that i hadn't bought for a while so look i'm happy for you to use it if you buy my product but you're not buying my product um and i said well we'll buy it and you know back and forth back and forth back and forth and this is where things get two slightly different versions of, of, of of events but in the end Issues came to head last Thursday night when somebody was in the brewery, saw the logo on the menu and ordered the pork when they normally wouldn't because they're very passionate as a consumer about provenance. And they ordered the pork and sort of, you know, are so um, passionate about this producer, this pork producer, that they emailed. So this was awesome. I got to have, and he goes, hold on, I've asked him to take that down. It wasn't my pork. The person got upset. Then and then and that's when you start getting an integrity issue. And one of the things that the brewery said um, was, "Look, we didn't have it labelled in any of our recipe in any of our menu items the way that we do with you know we've got X salad, we've got you know um, beef from this producer. We you know our pork didn't say that this is from here, but it was just on the on the cover." And I sort of thought, well, that's splitting hairs a little bit because the natural assumption from anyone that sees that is going to presume. So, um, but in the end, yeah, so the, the, the thing that I liken it to was, imagine if you went into a pub that had decals that didn't have a brand name on it, but just sort of said X style of beer. And then they had on the wall or they had on the, on, on, on the, the, the price list um, uh, a list of, different brewers and you saw a brewer who made that particular style of beer was very well known for making that particular style of beer your natural assumption is going to be that that's your that that those two correlate um and that that was the thing here so on one hand it's an integrity issue because somebody made a mistake about including it um and it wasn't removed and it potentially did another producer some harm you need to be very mindful of that particularly when your own brand is built on ethical and sustainable and so so that's one thing and again make your own mind up about you know the, the, the various parties there but then that's the background the story was the pork producer put up a facebook video explaining the situation very passionately um, as is his business based on and calling them out. He said, I'm really reluctant to do it, but this is the steps that I've taken and hasn't done, and then this person's contacted me and I need to do something to create a change. Um, 24 hours later, you know, and it was seen apparently 10,000 times in a short period of time because it's a small community. It's a small community that prides itself on supporting local circular economy, all of the reasons that the brewery does the same thing. And so it went viral. It's the sort of traction that any brewery would hope to get for a beer release. But 24 hours later, the brewery finally responded. Um, again, um, I'm going to gloss over the facts because there are, having dug into it very deeply, there are two 
slightly different um, versions of events. The, 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 there was an apology posted that didn't even explain fully the situation. So there was a lot of confusion about what it was. And then people felt that it didn't fully own what they felt had occurred. And so subsequently, a second apology went up. The pork producer who had who had asked for the first apology objected to some of the um, facts that were included in the second apology and asked was taken down. The first one was taken down. And currently, because the pork producer had taken down his post after the first apology was made, look, it, it, this is how complicated it is. So I'm sorry that it's taking this long. But essentially, in a small community, that this had really spread rapidly through currently there is no account there is no account of what happened there is no explanation there is no knowledge and so you look at that it hurts the business just because it happened for one thing but then also what can we learn from the way that the um you know the household was so we ended up doing a story that would help other breweries because we've seen a lot we, you know as, as the article said we've seen colonial brewery do it really really well um, when they were called out on social City media. CBCO. CB, sorry, well, the then... City Co. City Co. The then, we've seen others do it very badly, including Coopers, when they had their um, kerfuffle a few years ago. Um, we've seen how easily the issue can arise um, with uh, stomping ground with their vaccination. So this is the sort of thing that can really hurt your business. So, we, yeah, again, internally, we debated whether we cover it, and it's a, it's a teaching moment. So... It was an important story. Yeah, for me it was twofold, which is um, I was out at Saturday, on Saturday night at a 40th with a bunch of um, self-identified craft beer nerds uh, who were all pretty into it. And the first thing, if you managed to check your social media, was, you know, the apology popped to the top from the company and there was just no context. So I, I read it and was like, shit, is this a really big deal? Is this a small deal? What has happened? This doesn't look great. And so quite apart from the issue, the way in which it was responded to actually, frankly, elevated it, um, in which is, which is the headline, it elevated it to the consciousness of something that might otherwise have been an unfortunate series of events that was managed internally but then became something that landed on social media. And I think that then does greater harm to the brewery itself because people then go, well, what was that about, right? Yeah. And I think there is a – when you look at the governance of how to manage crisis comms, you know, the question is – does your marketing manager have authority to speak on behalf of the company? Do they have all of the facts? Who has the facts? Who's available if it's a weekend? Do we need to get a cooler head? Because, and, and this was the really important thing that the PR person brought out. When you were being attacked online, you can't help but take it personally and respond in anger. Um, quite often, which is the worst way to um, respond. And often in these small businesses, right, the marketing manager might be fulfill eight roles and actually the person who's authorised to speak 
about some of an issue of this level is just the owner founder who is the brewer just did a 16 you know like there's all sorts of things that just at a very practical level if you haven't stepped through that says when something blows up social media manager mark has a straight line into owner sarah they do this or there is a third party. It's literally having done a bit of scenario planning around what do we do here. And you might not know what the issue is going to be because I think as pointed out, you gave some examples, Matt, but also as pointed out by the crisis comms person, you actually don't necessarily know when there's going to, when an issue is going to arise. But if you have a methodology or an internal process and you know who do we go to, what do we do, um, and importantly, you don't respond immediately without the facts, um, without trying to get the facts because then, like happened in this scenario, sort of it goes around and around in circles and there isn't sort of a clear pathway. So I think there's some really clear lessons. Um, and then the, the final flag I would make, which is, you know, as, I mean, we just highlighted a major multinational brand looking to move more local because that is what consumers want. Uh, we have talked at length about sustainability and provenance as trends. We've seen that in the reporting that came out around what constitutes indie beer. If the brewing industry is going to be trading on these core consumer beliefs by wrapping our businesses and intermeshing them, which I think is great, then managing supplier relationships is a considerable piece of work as well. And so I think, you know, we have to own that. You know, we often get cranky as brewers saying somebody's trading off the back of the brewery because our margins are so low. Other producers are going to feel the same way. So I just sort of think there are some really big lessons in there. There's another communication issue that comes before this as well, uh, is that the fact that it was on the menu for such a long time when it wasn't the actual product. Uh, so yeah. it's um, an example as to how we have to constantly be checking all our forms of communication and making sure that they are correct and up to date. Um, so things like our, 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 our menus, our website, to make sure what we're saying about us and about our product that we're putting out is still the, the case. And we don't find out that we're still touting, touting that there's citra hops in this IPA when the brewer changed the citra hops out of it 18 months ago, and it's now Eclipse that's in there. All these things, down to our our can labels, uh, everything, to make sure that communication's right. We need to be setting up a a review period and making sure that we look at at things over time, that every X amount of period, we go back and look at all our communications. And a menu in a restaurant, a menu in our, our cellar door, is a form of communication. A label is a form of communication our website and making sure that everything we're saying on there still is what's happening in the business and then so that hopefully we can prevent these things and then have um, that crisis communication uh, plan ready for when things aren't right for whatever reason. One of the things that gave rise to the craft beer movement, one of the many things was the integrity and the passion wanting to do it differently and you know so if you're going to market yourself a certain way it's important that that is actually true. And in, in, in this case, yeah, so, you know, there's a difference between buying meat from your local butcher who could source it from anywhere and supporting your local businesses and buying meat from your local farmer who is actually growing it where you know the provenance and you know exactly the producer because, you know, one is a farm-to-table experience that you curate and the other is a supporting local 
business. And, you know, it's just one of those things that words matter and they matter to consumers. Yeah, and there, there, is, there is this consumer expectation and there is the intellectual property of, um, of suppliers and everyone in it that needs to be respected. Yeah. Anyway, that took far too longer to explain than I, uh, than I would have hoped. Go read the article. So on to our next article, Wayward to open former Bucket Boys Bar as new venue. Wayward Brewing Co. has renamed the former Bucket Boys Marrickville Bar as the Wayward Speakeasy. The brewery made the announcement in an email earlier this week stating that the bar is an expansion to its current Campertown Brewery and Tap Room. The news comes after Bucket Boys announced its rebrand to Local Drinks Collective in December last year. At the time, the company said the local drinks collective brand would replace its retail store, online store, social media pages, and marketing communication. It also announced the refurbishment of the Marrickville Bar. Now, Wayward has confirmed the official opening next week. The bar will have 10 taps, including from the local drinks collective partner, Batch Brewing. So this is really a story about what this drinks collective, what um, Bucket Boys, Batch and Wayward have been sort of working on um, in terms of uh, trying to come together in a new way without being a uh, joined up entity, um, but working together to um, find new ways to get some of the efficiency and things they talked about when they launched the drinks collective. Yeah, I think this was something we knew was really was happening. They mentioned this early on when they did the announcement of the Drinks Collective. Yeah. Was there an actual date from which it, it starts um, officially being that new venue name? I think they both, I think it's, it's now. I think they were announcing it's now, it. It's now, is it now? Yeah. Because they, they flagged it last year in an early story that we did. Yeah. And it's another example of at a time when growth is very, very hard for any brewery to come by. How do we find a way forward? You know, what sort of creative ways can we, uh, you know, come up with to find added volume that we can control fairly reliably? And in fairness, this was a, uh, we're doing a new thing. We're telling you about it. We're launching the local drinks collective. Then we're going to tell you what we think some of the first steps are going to be. Now they're telling us we've done the first steps. So it's, you know, it's implementation of what was planned back last year. That, that actually tying that back a little bit, that's uh, effective communication. We had the communication upon the release and now they're uh, communicating to us as they implement each of those steps. <laughs> Although on that, I, I don't want to get 630 breweries in the country sending us media releases about everything. Well, actually, we do want them because we want to know what's going on. But that's one of the things that we struggle with is how do we limit, how do we decide what we cover as news because we don't have infinite resources and not, and, you know, this is a significant one because it's a new model that's being pioneered. Um, it is different to anything else we've seen. And, you know, like Mighty Craft is another one that we, uh, you know, we, we've watched very closely because it was a model that was saying it was going to do something. And you can learn a lot, you know, from success or failure. And you know, in, in Mighty Craft's case, I would say it's been more failure than success so far. But go back and listen it's to it. It's been the, iterative, Matt. It's, it's been iterative. I was going to say interesting, not iterative. It's been interesting, I'd say, rather than iterative. Uh, but, uh, yeah, um, go back and listen to the uh, Mark Hazeman podcast to hear more of that. Speaking of new trials and trialling something new, um, Grifter launches Pale Ale and Qantas Lounge. 
Uh, Grifter Brewing Co. has launched its Pale Ale in the Qantas Club Lounge at Sydney's domestic airport for the month of January as part of a trial between the airline and the brewery. It's the first independent beer to be available in the lounge, we understand. Uh, Grifter said that they have been working on the partnership in many ways over many years Um, and in the quotes they also said that they want to use the opportunity to shine a spotlight on the small brewing industry and get people educated on the beer that is made on Sydney's doorstep. So I thought this was a great news story and kudos to the team at Grifter who, you know, pretty quickly in the quotes uh, to the journalist shifted the focus not just on, you know, getting this trial for themselves but also really on how they can utilise this to support you know, friends and neighbours in Marrickvale and Sydney beyond. So I thought that was um, a, a really lovely story. And let's face it, you know, like if you if you visit a place or if you're passing through an airport, you don't want to be drinking Heineken. And, you know, even, even if it's a local version of Heineken, you know, if it's a, a nice, easy drinking pale ale or a nice lager or pilsner or something like that, you'd much rather have that local experience than the same thing that you get in every... Uh, airport anyway you know so I, I was actually really uh pleased to see Qantas trialing this because it's, it's easier for them to just go to one big supplier and be done with it it is uh so as I mentioned to Matt a couple of days ago I had it in New Zealand on behalf of the Brewers Guild you know I had a role to play in speaking with Air New Zealand and their procurement around their lounges and it was really focused on that piece that said if you're catering to you know Qantas Club Lounge so if you're catering to your high frequency travelers that are coming through all the time they're going to be in all your lounges across the country they don't actually want the same beer as they travel five times a week to different places if you can give them a localized offering you're actually elevating their experience which is part of frankly when you're looking for business travelers um that is part of what the lounges need to do so this is you know, it's good business, I'm sure, for Qantas to be trying to elevate their experiences. Um, and it's good, you know, to showcase local produce, be it beer or otherwise. And any victory by one of us is a victory by all of us. Um, that gets attention, as they're saying there, it gets um, gets attention out that it doesn't matter whether it's um, a grifter beer in Sydney, um, it puts attention onto the sector and they might pay dividends, slight dividends for someone in South Australia or someone in Perth or, or, or wherever. That's right. But I think that what's so lovely about this is not every business is as forthright and giving in saying a victory for us is a victory for all. Uh, and and Grifter really quickly turned the attention to how can we leverage this for small industry? And so I just think that's reflective of um that those individuals and their approach to how they're doing business. So I think that's lovely too. Isn't a victory for one is a victory for all the same as saying the rising tide lifts all boats, which people love to say, because <laughs> it is. If it benefits one, it benefits all. If the water raises one, it raises yep. all. It's the same thing. I don't recommend Googling and getting into the sort of intricacies behind all of those quotes because I did it once um, and it actually makes you think you shouldn't be using any of them. But okay. um, just as a standard, yes, I think it does. Um, so just another small brewery uh, piece of news, um, but uh, Source lists brewing equipment for sale. Source Brewing Co. has announced the sale of the unused brewing equipment from its planned Cairns brew pub. Cairns 
Brew Pub, Source Cairns, was set to open in early 2020. However, COVID, uh, dear listener, Matt made the point in the office the other day when you say Source Cairns, it sounds like Source Source C-A-N-S in Cairns. When you say source in, in Cairns, Cairns, as opposed to source in yeah, Sydney, so it was, yeah. Source in Cairns with an R sound um, was set to open in early 2020. However, COVID 19 delayed the opening until October later that year. At that time, source founder Mike Clark said the 10 hectolitre system would be ready to go in 2021. However, one year after launching the venue, Clark opened up about the struggles the venue had experienced due to lingering effects from the pandemic. He also explained how to dampen local production, leaving the brewery to be installed but not commissioned. So just a little story about sort of the challenges post-COVID and the challenges of regional beer. Yeah, it's still being affected by anyone and particularly um, uh, plans that were meant to, to come to fruition in uh, that point. Some people were able to, you know, the, the catchword at the time, pivot, but sometimes there was just no way uh, around that, particularly in a, um, uh, an incredibly, a market that's incredibly influenced by, by tourism, does make things very, very difficult. And when you're trying to run that from a remote location or Sydney being remote, um, but is remote in, in this case there, it does bring other, other challenges in, into it. Um, they've obviously looked to go for a different direction with that. Yeah, I mean, I remember, I think we talked about on the podcast at the time, that I was going to be very interested to see how another brewery in Cairns would go. Um, we've seen, you know, a number of breweries and there's a big craft brewery up there. Um, you know, it, it, it's a shame. Um, you know, COVID intervened uh, as well, so we don't really know what would have happened but for that. But I still think it's just a tough place to get brewers to. It's, uh, you know... Uh, there were just so many challenges uh, behind it. So, uh, you know, glad that they're still going to have the bar there um, and uh, someone can pick up some unused <laughs> high-quality brewing equipment. That's already in the country. <laughs> That's already in the country. Because <laughs> we know the delays are, are proving challenging for the various breweries that were looking across the country. Um, so in other news, Matt, you had your beer as a conversation, uh, a chat from a couple of months ago with Chuck Hahn. Yeah, look, I, that was when I was debating whether or not I play. Um, it was a conversation. Chuck retired last August very, very quietly, as I said in the intro. He's such a, you know, icon is overused word, but he's just such an icon. He's done so much to popularise beer. Um you know, uh, that it was just a shame that he went so quietly. And so it ended up just being a casual conversation. I had very, very, uh, you know, it was a very personal conversation. But because it was so personal, I really did debate what putting it out or not. Um, and we had a gap this week. Um, and so you, you uh, the decision was kind of made for me. So uh, let us know your thoughts. Um, I've had some really good messages about it actually this week because it was... You know, just very much the con- it would be the way that Chuck and I would have spoken at a bar, um, and so you've got to be a fly nice. on the wall for that sort of thing. So uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts. And great feedback on the chat you had uh, with Beer Cartel from a prior beer as a conversation. Lots of chat in the Radio Bruce News Facebook group. Um, and you know, my summary of all that chat was hot tip to retailers: make sure you have a save the cart function. Um, that seemed to be something that was highly discussed. 
Uh, and then the other big news out of um, Bruce News HQ is that we're really excited to be gearing up for the official broadcast of the Gab's Hottest 100 beers that is going to be broadcast live from camera on Saturday the 28th. We're going to be on neutral territory uh, and we're hoping to announce all of the details in the next few days. Um, it's been... We've been trying to lock it all down, but needless to say, we can confirm that Bruce News will be um, supporting Gabs to do the official launch. So that's exciting, Matt. Are we confirming that we uh, are doing five full hours this year? It's like we're doing the whole countdown. It looks like the whole countdown. I have to say that after a lengthy conversation I had this morning that only went for two hours, I left that conversation thinking, I'm not sure five hours seems reasonable, but yeah, um, uh, TBC, <laughs> dear listener, but we're supposed, uh, it's a long countdown, 12.35 daylight savings time, Melbourne, Sydney time is the kickoff. And it looks like, you know, those in Perth will be starting charging their glasses quite early at 9.30 in the morning. Um, so, uh, but a big day for, for beer in Australia and looking forward to being a part of it. So um, we're going to be we're going to be asking in the Radio Bruce News group who, if anyone, do you want to hear from on the day? Um, and so, you know, get involved. Looking forward to it. Make sure you have those lozenges on hand to keep the throats up to, up to speed for talking for that long. Well, that's the thing. And you can't even say I'm going to wet my tonsils because five hours is a long time to be even drinking slowly. So I'm actually... Yeah. If, if the guys from Heads of Noosa are listening, if you want to sort of organise to get a carton of uh, hot water in Canberra, because, um, again, I'd much rather drink hot water than uh, alcohol-free beer. That's just me. And so uh, we just had a quick chat, something that we are going to have to stop resolve before um, the... Uh, Hottest 100 broadcast is, you know, we've had a couple of listener questions and actually Ian and I both faced the challenge of wanting to vote for a beer that uh, wasn't on the list. Um, And so uh, as a listener asked us, you can register the beer that's not on the list, um, but it's just not clear kind of what happens thereafter. Um, so we'll we'll be looking to clear that up with Mike uh, from Gabs. Well, I'm asking how it's done because yeah, look, it, and it's one of the things that fascinates me about anything that grows. You know, like it was originally the craft beer countdown. It was small numbers, beer geeks. No, you know, campaigning was almost frowned upon because it was meant to be a fairly organic thing. But we want beer to grow. We want more excitement. The hottest 100 is the biggest day in beer in the year, and you know, in terms of the AIBA is huge for the industry. The indus- the Indies are huge for the industry, but I don't think either of those things reach outside of that bubble to the extent that the Hottest 100 does. But the bigger that we want to make it, which is good for beer, good for category, and uh, talking about beer, the, the campaigning for it is such, is such a big, big thing. And so we're seeing breweries increasingly campaign, but then also, you know, the early lesson uh, from the Hottest 100 was... If you like, if you're a beer that makes 50 different beers a year, people are going to have an individual favourite amongst those. So we are starting to see breweries really try and shape their vote. That makes it less about the beer, to my mind, and more about the brewery. So you've got Modus at the moment 
are really pushing for Chaveza, which is their Mexican lager. Now, modus operandi pushing that, you know, the, the, the original big hop, or maybe not the original, but a big hop brewery is pushing their Mexican lager because it's the beer that's going to have the broadest appeal um, over their beers. And so to, to, to get a high finish is great for the business. And these are the things that if you get bigger, there are always going to be pressures that shape what the competition becomes. But it's still wonderful for the industry. Yeah, and for, for, for me in the voting there, I went to, I'm been extremely in, infrequent uh, voter in it. I've only voted actually in all the years of it a handful of times. And I decided, yeah, no, I'm going to do it this year. Went to vote, got my first choice in, and then my next two then, one of them, the brewery, wasn't even listed at all, a very small producer. One was a much bigger producer, and they only had a couple of their beers on, and it's just not in my nature actually to be, because I'm not quite as engaged in that way, to actually enter the beer in myself manually, and particularly then in the case of the brewery who didn't have any of their products listed, I thought, well, obviously it's just something not of concern to them, so I didn't feel as though I was doing the right thing by then by by kind of forcing them into into entering that beer. It's funny, it's all about voting strategy too, like because... And where you're at, so because I drink infrequently now, I drink much more, um, I guess, like limited releases, beers that I really, um, you know, it has to be a beer that I really want to drink to allocate the time to drinking because um, I have a toddler and I never have time. And so um, mine were also you know, limited release products that I wanted to vote for across three different breweries. Whereas in previous years, um, I would have searched for one of my favourite breweries and then had frequently consumed any one of their top products and so would be happy voting for what was there. Whereas this time I wanted to vote for some that were much more specific and they weren't there. So, um, you know, just different people vote different ways. And so um, that's going to be fascinating to hear about uh, when we chat to folks on the 28th as well. So I don't know if this is a good place, but um, we have Brewery of the Week uh, this week. Uh, which is brought to you by Bluestone Yeast. Bluestone Yeast can supply pitches of yeast from one litre to 100 litres at greater than 2 billion cells per milliliter. Whether you are after a one-off pitch or you're looking for weekly, fortnightly or monthly deliveries of yeast, Bluestone Yeast has you covered. You can reach out to them at info at bluestoneyeast.com.au or call Derek on 03-8518-3172 and talk all things yeast. Uh, and the reason that I've slotted that in there is that um, my brewery of the week, uh, which is, has fallen to me this week from the team, was uh, Seasonal Brewing out of WA. And uh, that's because I wanted to vote for one of their beers um, that uh, Mike Morgan from Blaster introduced me to while we were over there last year in WA. It was a very limited release. Uh, it's It's not on their website, but it was that sort of hybrid blend. I think it was a Sav Blanc uh, beer. It was beautiful. Uh, I drank it at an IBA event and um, it was one that I would ha have gone back for and tried to acquire across the country because I enjoyed it so much, uh, but it was not on the list because I guess it was so um, small. So they're, they're producing beautiful beers that I know um, the beer connoisseurs out of Perth are loving as well and WA. And so if you're ever over there um, or you want to get some of their beers, I would highly recommend Seasonal.
Excellent. That's something I'm going to have to check out. Yeah. And with Wobba coming up in June, we'll definitely be heading yep. over. So I'll be looking to uh, try them uh, when I get over then. Just in other news, we've got a few minutes before we wrap up. Um, the headline that I've I've dropped in is, has New Belgium's tyres gone flat? Uh, lots of chat in the, in the online world and no doubt real world about uh, New Belgium changing, well, everything about Fat Tyre. Fat Tyre is the 32-year-old iconic beer that launched New Belgium. It's now renamed Fat Tyre Ale with a new recipe, new packaging and a new title. Uh, To say that online response is mixed, I think would be fair. Uh, Some commenting that the uh, will diehards turn away, absolutely. Whilst otherwise saying that if Fat Tyre is the new Belgian brand that acts as the vessel for sustainability messaging, it makes sense that in the wake of declining sales, they'd be looking to appeal to a new market of drinkers where these values resonate. And as a result, if the beer style must change to meet these new drinker tastes and drinking occasions, then I guess it just has to. And that was uh, Matthew Ryan and Jocelyn Erickson in the Facebook group, but many other interesting comments. It's just worth noting that uh, they haven't just gone full scale on this. They've tinkered with the brand and the positioning over the last couple of years, and it hasn't arrested the slide. Um, You know, like I... I the first time I had Fat Tire Amber Ale, I was at it was in two thousand and ten. I was at Coors Stadium. No, two thousand nine. I was at Coors Stadium in uh, Denver after the Great American Beer Festival and sat there drinking Fat Tire Amber Ale at Coors Stadium. That's how big a beer it was. You could you could get it there. It was wonderful. But the more things change, the more they stay the same. You know, tastes have changed. The beer industry. Um, Voodoo Ranger is. New Belgium's biggest brand these days, a beer that didn't even exist when the brewery started, um, didn't even exist, you know, a style that really didn't even exist when I was drinking Fat Tire Amber Ale. There was a time that things like Powers and also things like this would have upset me, but that's how businesses survive. I do find it a little bit surprising um, to do a wholesale change to a beer recipe um, is to me a little bit worrying. Um to me, in something like this, if you've got declining sales of something that uh, was once huge uh, or if your sales are plateaued, I'd be looking first at my marketing angle to it, uh, perhaps even the naming of that individual beer and how that's presented rather than the recipe itself. It's easier to change your name back um, or to change your marketing angle back than it is to change your recipe. Because you can say to people, you could change the name of the beer from Fat Tire to Rusty Skeleton, um, and then if people say we want fat tie back, you can say we'll 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 bring fat tie back. If you change the recipe and you get someone that doesn't know the recipe's changed and gone to it, you have a greater chance of losing them forever. Now, in saying that, no beer should remain static. You should always be looking at how a beer should grow over time and constantly uh, tinkering, tweak, tweaking, fiddling around the edges of a recipe and gradually letting it move over time, modernising it as it comes. But a wholesale change and using the same name, to me, speaks of a worrying situation for, for that brand. And yeah, certainly, probably not the approach I would have taken to it. But as, except, I, I, you know, again, I think it's one of those things that you know they're, they're trying to they they've basically given up on the beer. But the, but but people know the name, and if they can, 
make it palatable. Uh, otherwise, you know, in 25 years, they'll bring it back other powers and it'll have a bit of nostalgia. If the brand's dropping away, it can drop away and you can look to what have we got to do to replace it there. And you still have that brand up your sleeve. You still have mm. that, that name and that flavor profile for that there. Once you do this, you've lost it. You've potentially lost it. If it does not work, and I would find that doubtful no, it work, becomes a marketing. You've, you've, thrown, you've thrown it out. You do what VB did. Uh, we've heard you and we're sorry. We've changed it back and hopefully... But, but that that was a minor tweak. That's the sort of thing that should happen. That's a minor tweak. This is a wholesale right. change. I agree. I was like, why didn't they just give it a new name? Like call it the, the skinny round tyre or something. Like if it is a fundamentally different beer with fundamentally different labeling and have your amber, your traditional beer and release it annually as a limited release, original fat tire ale out for these three months of the year, keep it, as you say, Ian, because, you know, we're relaunching the 80s. It's going to come back. Yeah. So, but don't undermine its core value. And if you've got a marketing budget as large as these guys do, you can launch a new beer. Like why... Just destroy that. Destroy that sounds very emotive. <laughs> Why um, pull apart all of the bits that made up something that uh, essentially carried your brand and was so iconic for thirty-two years? I think they should have like made a trophy out of it, hung it on the side of the building, a la trophy hunting, and you know, immemorialized it as an icon and not with it quite frankly and then just um brought out something new yeah that's 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 exactly my point onto it uh onto it there that's the approach i would have taken rather than going this way but no 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 point flogging a dead horse but um but um yeah there's ways you can you can move on and, and get yourself growth without um destroying a potential asset uh and with that enthralling chat uh <laughs> emotive chat that wraps up another week of news. Your hosts have been me, Sabrina Kunz, Matt Kierkegaard and Ian Watson. The show is produced by Vivian Tapalovich and edited by Joe Helder. We thank Rallings, Labels, Stickers and Packaging and Bluestone Yeast for their support in making this episode possible. And thank you to all for your contributions by email, text, phone and in the Radio Brews News group. Please rate and review the podcast on either Apple or Spotify to help more folks in the brewing industry find the show. And we'll chat with you all next week. Thank you. Thank you. And we're out.